Welcome to the wonderful world of why we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things why with you. You can find us on Facebook at the wonderful world of why. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine. We are on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM, and broadcasting all the episodes again on our podcast, The Wonderful World of Wine, which is on SoundCloud and iTunes. Hello, Kim. How are you today? I'm great, Mark. How are you? I am excited to talk to you today, Kim, because I know when we have a topic that you get excited about, it's uh, (laughs) listeners will... (laughs) Really enjoy hearing this. So we found an article in Wine Enthusiast Magazine, how to make vinegar from expired wine. And I liked how they said expired wine and not like bad or bad wine, old wine, expired wine. wine. I know. You know, I have to tell everybody every once in a while. I mean, Kim does this, of course. She makes her own vinegar. And I'll get to that in a moment because I really don't understand it, unfortunately. But when you need a stash of wine, you come to me because I always have stuff I pull off because I know it's not good to sell anymore. Doesn't mean it's bad, but it doesn't taste as good. And I hook you up and you make your own. And isn't vinegar, Kim, I, I have to start off with like a little thing of vinegar. What's it like a dollar at the store? How much does it cost? Not that much money. Okay. So you go through this whole process. <laughs> Are you going to ask me own. why Is I do this? Is there a difference? It, no. Well, yeah, I want to understand <laughs> It's one of those things like it's so inexpensive. This must take so much time from you to it, do. Is it, it doesn't is it take a matter that much time. Or? It's like gardening. You know, you spend an entire season to grow a plant that has five tomatoes on it. That's a lot of time and effort for five tomatoes that you could go spend $6 at the store for. But there's a lot of personal fulfillment in growing so those five tomatoes. you were going to get me on board. Yeah, I, knew, huh? I, knew, I knew you'd come up with something to get yeah. me on board. Why so it, it is sort of like gardening. But I mean, I do all these wacky <laughs> fermentation projects at home. Why do I grow my own cucumbers to make pickles that I could just go to Trader Joe's and spend a buck 50 on a jar of cornichons? You know, it's because you it's have no fun time. for me to do. I don't know how you do all this stuff. I just... <laughs> I just enjoy it. Yeah. But But anyway, I could just go to the grocery store and get myself a bottle of red wine vinegar or white wine vinegar. But, you know, I thought I have a lot of leftover wine usually from work because I do bring a lot of stuff home and I can't drink it all. So a lot of it just sort of sits for an extra week in the bottle and I feel bad about dumping it out. So I always thought, well, what can I do with this? That I don't need to put too much labor and effort into it. And I can come out with something kind of fun on, on the other side. Um, so I did, I learned to make vinegar a couple of years ago. So let's start, Kim, by you, you said you, you using your leftover wine. What mm-hmm. types of wine uh, can be used, first off, before we start about the process? Sure. What, what types of wine? You use all the wine? I use you have? most of the wines that I get. I don't use anything that's really, really oaky. So I tend to shy away from using like California Cabernets. For my white wine vinegar vat, I don't have a problem with throwing Chardonnay in there though. And usually I don't do sweeter wines because I I don't want a lot of sugar in there. So I just kind of stick with the same types of wines that I would cook with. So if I would cook with it, 
I'm going to toss it in my vinegar vat, but I won't use a bad wine. So if I have a corked bottle, that doesn't go in there. If I have something that smells sort of musty or like overly barnyardy or skunky or anything like that, I'm not going to use it. And this so article bad, said- Bad meaning faulted. Faulty. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use a big oaky wine. I'm not going to use too sweet of a wine. I haven't known to pour some port in there from time to time. And I'm not going to use a faulty wine. So um, the article, you maybe you were going to just mention that, but the article said, use a low sulfur wine, which is kind of a, I thought that's an unusual so hard to tip. Know. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. If I have a quarter of a bottle left, which is like what, three quarters of a cup of wine, I'm not going to go research. Is this low, low sulfur? So no, I think that I'm not going to bother with that step. I think that's too much. And anyway, over time, if you've been sitting that on the counter for a week or two weeks, whatever the sulfur level was when it was fresh is going to yeah, be reduced. Blow off. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't understand that point. Yeah. But then, and then they also said, don't use oxidized wines, which I think is silly because when you pour it into your big vat, you're giving it oxygen and it's going to oxidize as it sits there for a couple of days before the vinegar bacteria start doing their thing. So wow. I We're don't right care. We're right on today. We're yeah. right on. I don't care if it's When I been give you the white for... wine, it's brown. Yeah, you give me some old stuff. <laughs> right? It's brown. It's so... brown. It's brown wine. It's already. Um, yeah. So I so I just use kind of whatever I got around because I don't like to waste stuff. I especially don't like to waste wine. But I also know that I've got like two dozen open bottles of wine in my house and I can't drink all that. So you and have the... to walk us through the process and and help me understand what the term mother vinegar. <laughs> so it's fairly simple. So you generally use two parts wine to one part water because the the mother, which I'll get to in a second is like your starter. And the way that it turns wine into vinegar is, so it, when we think about ordinary alcoholic fermentation, you have a sugary juice and you add yeast to it. The yeast eats the sugar, turns it into alcohol. Now what happens for vinegar is that the, the mother, which is sort of our yeast equivalent, eats the alcohol and turns that into acetic acid. So it's like a second step in the winemaking process. And sometimes this will happen naturally in a bottle of wine. Although I will say that in my 19 years in the wine industry, this has happened to me twice uh -huh. that I have a bottle that lid turned to vinegar and you know, it has really, really turned to vinegar when the color color is completely different. I had a bottle a couple of years ago that I, I think it had already been open. I don't really remember that I poured and was really, really lightly colored. I'm like, this isn't supposed to look like this. And it literally looked like you had just opened a bottle of red wine vinegar and poured it. Is that the result of bad winemaking technique or just um, the style of wine? I think it's an uncleanliness issue that was going on there. Yeah, because you really shouldn't have this particular type of bacteria in a closed bottle of wine. It can be in the environment, just like when we were talking about making wine with natural yeasts, you know, ambient yeasts that are in the atmosphere, as opposed to introducing a commercial yeast, you can have these bacterium floating around your winery and yeah, they can get in there or, you know, they could even be in your house, but they're not usually in the, in, in the massive amounts that you need for it to kind of infect your bottle of wine and turn it into vinegar. So it, it's a fairly, I think, rare occurrence for a bottle of wine to actually turn completely into vinegar. 
So you think that's not common for like a lower quality wine that's meant to be consumed young that you hold no, on to way because too long? Because I don't it think it has into- to do with the, it's not the grapes themselves. It's all about the cleanliness of the production. So if, if a winery is making wine in such a way that they're making sure that everything is clean and that there isn't any addition, you know, there's no leftover yeast in there. Maybe they've, you know, filtered it and done all the things that they would normally do, especially if you're talking about like a big, massive commercial winemaking operation. Yeah. There should be enough of that technological level of cleanliness there that this shouldn't ever be a problem. One more thing on that, Kim, I just... I noticed this a few times with when I've had people's homemade wines uh-huh. and I let them sit too long. I think they turn to vinegar very easily, which yeah. I think is I think that that's a different situation because people who are making wine in their basement or making wine in their home don't have those protocols that right. the preservative that type of things. Yeah. yeah. So I think it'd be much more common that you would find it in a situation of someone making their own wine than you would for a commercial wine. So I took you a total different direction. Let's get to that that mother <laughs> vinegar okay. understanding yeah. and what these so, things are that you have in your home. Yeah. So a mother is pretty much your starter. But for a vinegar mother, if anyone is familiar with kombucha or makes their own kombucha, it actually looks an awful lot like a kombucha mother, but it kind of looks like a jellyfish. It's this like gelatinous, kind of looks like it's made of jello. Um, how do you get that? How do you thing, get huh? How do you get one? How did you? So I bought mine over the internet. You can just Google Vinegar Mother and you'll find places that sell them. There are a a number of like Facebook groups that are people who do their own fermentations at home. And a lot of people have them to sell because you can just like a sourdough starter, you know, you can split them and you can divide them up and then you can use them for multiple different batches. So there are a lot of people out there who have too much because as you use it, it grows. And if you have a large batch of vinegar, then you have, you know, a lot of mother that you can kind of spread around. So I originally started by buying one. And the only one that I could find was a red wine one. So I started with a red, a a big old vat of of red wine. And then I wanted to do one that was white wine. So I used the same mother and then it ended up being sort of pink vinegar. So then I had rosé vinegar instead of white wine vinegar and red wine vinegar. So you Um, mix the water the wine. Yeah. Yep. So then- two parts wine, one part water, you throw in the mother and you have to leave it for a few months, but you top it up regularly you know, because there's evaporation and you in don't the want the concentration. Or- hmm? This is just in the open. No, no refrigeration, no refrigeration. It has to be warm. It's actually supposed to be warm. So it's supposed to be in like the high sixties or in the seventies. So like warm room temperature, warm American room temperature, for months. four months. So wow. I will usually like make sure that mine is going pretty well in the summertime so that I can have them by wintertime and, you know, give them as Christmas presents and things like that. But sometimes the batch goes bad and sometimes it gets moldy and sometimes weird things happen. So what do you see in the color change or acidity? Yeah. So so what happens is so once you have started it, the first phase smells sort of funky. You get this um, first stage where it smells like nail polish remover. And there's all of these like chemical changes that are going on that we normally associate with wine going bad. And one of those common faults that we tend to talk about when we're talking about the dozen wine faults that 
that are, you know, usually we need to be aware of is this sort of smell that is reminiscent of either wood varnish or nail polish remover, that kind of smell. And I would say by the second week of the vinegar production, you get that smell. But then, then that blows away and it starts just sort of smelling like vinegar. And then the mother, it like develops this layer on the top of the vinegar that, again, it looks like a layer of jello on top of on top of it. And it shouldn't be moldy. It should be opaque, but not bad looking. Maybe a little weird looking because it's like, well, why do I have a jellyfish on top of this, you know, big vat of stuff in my basement? But yeah, as long as it looks like that, it's kind of going right. And then the color does change. So as the bacteria in the mother transform the alcohol into the acetic acid, it does change the color of it. So the tannins will all kind of fall to the bottom if you're using red wine and you're left with this fairly clear but red colored solution. That then you how do you to. know it's ready? You you sample it like how um, yeah. So I taste it and I have a kit that I can put a little sample on and it tells me the pH. And then you usually will add water to it to get it up to a certain level. And then it does help if you pasteurize it, because if you don't, then the vinegar will continue to develop a mother. And like you, if you put it in a, in a bottle and then you put it in your pantry and you want to go make salad dressing with it at some point, sometimes you'll get this like blob of mother that will come out of the bottle. And that's just not pleasant because you really don't want that in your salad. So what's the pH? Is it like in the twos? Yeah, I think it's like two and a half. It's fairly, yeah, it's, it's wow. pretty acidic. Wow. And so yeah. you, is it dangerous? So is it, can you get sick in any way nope. from this? Nope. And Not even if all. you were to have a bad one, there, there's really nothing about these microbes that are going to harm you. And you, you know, you need to watch out. out for if it goes moldy. So if it grows like white mold or green mold or, you know, black or red mold, then it's a problem. But as long as you're not seeing like a mold growth on it, then it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. So you're skimming off this mother, nope. the thing on the top? Nope. No, you're, you're leaving just, it. You're leaving right? it. And every once in a while, you're you're topping it up. So every, I would say every month, I might top it up with a new bottle of wine and then a half a bottle of water or maybe even more water because water is evaporating constantly and you want to make sure that you have enough of a balance in there. And once it's done, the mm -hmm. mother is not, you don't use it again. You don't, yeah. you do, you take it yep. off and you use yep. it again. So wow. I, my vinegar containers have a little spout on the bottom. So I will take some of it out of there. It's kind of like a Sherry Solaris system <laughs> where I'll like take a portion of it out and then I'll just top it back up with more wine and more water and let it keep going. Jeez. You get excited about this. Like people get excited brewing their own beer. <laughs> I get excited about that too, but wow. yeah. Well, wow. I mean, I think beer making is far more common than vinegar making. So wow. this is, you know, I do process. a lot of weird stuff in my kitchen and this is probably the weirdest one. And generally, what are you using it for? Just salad dressing or do you use yeah. it for a lot of things? Or uh, no? Salad dressing, marinades, infusions. So like shrubs or if I want to do like an herbal infused vinegar, I'll use this for that. You can sort of macerate fruit in it and then put that in things. Has yeah. anybody ever guessed that it was a non-commercial, like if you served it and someone's recognized it was different um, or anyway? I don't know. No. It's not like I keep a secret, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to serve it, I'm going to be like, this is the vinegar that I made. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, I'm impressed, I Kim. That. I hope the listeners, you know, got a lot out of that because I sure did. <laughs> wow. A lot of work. Yeah. You know, I do go a little uh, crazy for some of these, uh, you know, 
fun things that I do at home. But if anyone is curious or has more questions about how to make vinegar at home, please leave me a message on our Facebook page, uh, which is The Wonderful World of Wine. And I'll be happy to answer your questions. Yeah, maybe you could put a couple of pictures on there, Kim, of, of the, the product or the process. Uh, or something. I think I'll do that. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us every week on Franklin Public Radio, WFPR 102.9, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. We were just talking about making vinegar with leftover wine, and now we are going to completely switch gears and talk about wines that are not necessarily readily available in the United States, but because we uh, like to stay on top of trends and uh, new things coming into the market, and also because we have listeners in other parts of the world and not just the U.S. We wanted to talk a little bit about wines from Switzerland, which I would say, Mark, in the last few years, there has been a little bit more conversation about Swiss wines. I feel like more Americans, whether it's because of travel or vacation or whatnot, have tried some Swiss wines. I think we have more in the market now than we've had in the past. In the past, every time I've heard things about Swiss wine, it was more that they consume a lot of wine, but I've never tried one and I've never seen it. And when we were looking at this article, I researched in Massachusetts, there's four wines found for sale from Switzerland. Okay. So one that's of better them, than it was yeah, a few years well, ago. Well, three of them are from the same distributor. This was mm-hmm. one winery with three wines and one of them was a vermouth which uh-huh. I thought was interesting. So it is very rare. And the article, it was a Swiss publication, said it's a best kept secret. And it, it is because none is really exported here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, have you I think ever it's tried any in the past? I haven't. My in-laws have because they do travel a lot. And we were talking about the last time they were in Switzerland and then they were supposed to bring me home a bottle and they didn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because well, they didn't think that it was up to uh, up to par with what I was used to drinking. They were actually f- kind of disappointed by the wines. So they didn't bring me anything home because they didn't think that that I would I would yeah. like it or appreciate. It. I don't know what. But I was like, well. anyway, so that's really the only experience that I've even gotten kind of close to being able to get my hands on a bottle of Swiss wine. But from what I understand, you know, especially the whites are fairly light. It's a very cool climate for growing grapes. Not only is it high altitude, but it's quite cold, doesn't get a lot of sun. So really the wines that are grown there are at the limits of wine production and you get these cool climate whites. And uh, and I think the only red or the only red of note is Pinot Noir, right? Yeah, that's what they said, Pinot Noir. Yeah. And it's kind of, I compare it to in France, the Jura, which is mm-hmm. near the Swiss Alps, the, the styles of whites are like that, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, alcohol. I wonder if they are similar in style to like Pinot Noirs from Germany. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they're yeah. like very, very light red because of the, you know, it's low alcohol and the in the cold, it's not going to really get as ripe. So and, and you mentioned your relatives were there. The only like one percent is exported here, so everybody's drinking their own. They're drinking stuff it there. there. Yeah, but I don't think it's like just tourists who are drinking it there. I think that it's what the population is drinking. So they're just sort of keeping it all for themselves and they're drinking local and they're just drinking what they have. I think, I mean, a lot of beer is consumed there as well, but I can imagine that these light, 
crisp, cool climate wines would be wonderful with like fondue, <laughs> which is exactly what I would put them with. Because I always drink dry Riesling with fondue. So I can imagine that some of these, some of these white wines, either based on Chasselas or Riesling, and there's some other grape varieties that I know from either wine history classes or from French wine classes, like Savigny. You remember the Savigny Blanc? That we right, talked about, right? Um, Jura, that's sort of one of these Savoir. parent grape varieties. A uh, little Pinot Gris they talk about. So some of these, these grape varieties that really do fairly well in these colder climates. I would love to find the Pinot Noir from there. I, I love that style, like the German style. Do you? It's just light, just yeah. easy drinking. I, I love that stuff, but we couldn't find one. But they, talking about the production, was it was pretty amazing what they produce. It's so low. It's like 79,000 liters versus like 4 million in in Italy or mm -hmm. 2 million in, in the United States. I mean, it's it's so small, but I mean, it is a small region. They actually do have a lot of geeky things like other wine producing regions where they have like their own AOC, like their own government laws. They have uh, like six or seven main producing regions. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, they're developing that, but it's just, they're not exporting it. Right. And very small, but it very sounds small. like they have the ability to host people who wanted to come for wine tastings and who are there as tourists or people who have an interest in wine. So I would say for our listeners, if you are ever planning a trip to Switzerland and you are interested in their wines, it does sound like there are a variety of things for you to try and a bunch of places to visit. They mentioned something in this article, Kim, that I thought was interesting about the smallest vineyard in the world. Did you see <laughs> this that? the one about the Dalai Lama? They said they have the world's smallest vineyard. It's like three vines. And I could have sworn I saw something where the, there was something where someone had a rooftop huh. winery with like was the smallest. But I don't even know how you would get that. I mean, I would... I would assume someone could really just challenge that and just plant three vines and call it. It's just weird. I thought that was a weird stat. So from what I, I remember reading in the article, um, it said that the smallest vineyard in the world is currently owned by the Dalai Lama oh, because someone had given it, it to him. Yeah. The, <laughs> someone had like left it to him in the their will. One, the three um, vine one. But it doesn't look like it's only three vines because it says it produces a few thousand bottles of wine. Oh, so so you that's could, not, that's, maybe it's yeah. three rows. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah, that would make more sense. But yeah, you probably have to be a certain size in order to be considered a vineyard. They did have a, a lot of other numbers in the article. 200 grape varieties are in this area, which seems to be an awful lot for only talking about two, right? you know, one major white, one major red. And I bet a lot of them are old, like those old yeah. historic grape varieties that, you, you know, we don't see in a liquor store and we only kind of read about in books. Well, that's how they started the article. You said old. They said, oh, grapes have been grown in Switzerland since the Roman times. I mean, mm -hmm. the Romans, everywhere they went. So, I mean, I'm sure there were vines there and they just kind of improved it. But they probably brought most of these 200 grapes with them, the types with them from other areas to grow there to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Wine grapes do have this great ability to... Uh mutate and change and to, you know, combine with each other and make new grape varieties. So it's probably an area that has seen a lot of that over the last few thousand years as well. And I was talking about that consumption, Kim, I always thought it was Switzerland that drank, but there's another small country that consumes a lot, but the number they gave was oh, it's um really small country. Yeah. That's like the leading thing because Anyway, they, in Switzerland, they say 38 bottles per person a year. And I'm thinking 38 a year. 38 a year. 
Yeah, I'm well over that. Yeah, but that's 30, 80 a year per, 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 per head. Yeah. So when you space it out with the people who aren't doing so, any drinking, yeah. <laughs> the people who are consuming most wonder, of the wine probably are. I wonder what the U.S. number is on that. It's probably way low. It's really low. Yeah. yeah. It's like that. seven a year or something like that. So that's, I mean, that's huge. That's yeah. bugging me about that country. Was it in, oh, Was I it can't think. Like, yeah. I can't remember. I, I think it, it I mean, I think the number one one is actually the Vatican. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that is true. If you want to consider the Vatican a country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they do. They're, they're their own thing, right? That's so. right. Drink, drink a lot of wine there. Anything else that you saw in Switzerland that you thought was interesting, Kim, other than no, we can't just, get it? We're you know, teasing this, our listeners. This, this one is what is more, you know, one of our, I'd say, mental exercises because it's a little bit harder for people to get their hands on. But we wanted you, our listeners, to know about it and know that there is wine produced in Switzerland. So should you ever get the opportunity to have a taste, definitely have a taste. And I think the article, that's what they, it was a Swiss travel thing. So yeah. what better way to get you? They say, you, you're not going to get <laughs> it anywhere else except here. <laughs> if you want it, you have to come here and, and get it. Thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us every week on Franklin Public Radio, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine.